This is the Profit From Legal Podcast. I'm your host, Noel Bagwell. Whether you've listened to the podcast from the first episode or you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. The Profit From Legal Podcast is brought to you by Executive Legal Professionals, PLLC, also called Executive LP, an innovative virtual law firm based in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. At Executive LP, we work with businesses to transform their legal support from a cost center to a profit engine. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Our semi-monthly regular episodes and frequent interviews with interesting professionals bring our audience of savvy entrepreneurs and business decision makers useful insights for getting the most out of their legal support. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be right back after this brief commercial message. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of Profit From Legal. Today we've got another interview for you and my guest is Kevin Valley. Kevin Valley is in the business of raising capital. Currently he specializes in helping medium-sized businesses with annual revenues between a million to $25 million to attract the funding they need to scale. With over 12 years of experience in corporate and investment banking, Kevin has been featured as a panelist at a variety of local, regional, and international business events on entrepreneurship, business development, and private company investment. Not only is he a chartered business valuator, Kevin is a partner at Aspire Fund Management, a private equity firm based in Trinidad, founder of Become Investable, and host of the Caribbean Power Lunch podcast. This podcast has been described as a critical source of knowledge and support for both young and established businesses alike within the Caribbean area. Kevin is passionate about business and the development of Caribbean entrepreneurs. Uh, He has always admired the power of businesses to change lives, create jobs, and create sustainable wealth. And uh, one of his core values stems from the quote, life is a loan that you repay through your service to others. So we're just absolutely thrilled to have Kevin on the Profit From Legal podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Hey, thanks a lot, Noel. Listen, I think you, um, if, this, if the legal thing you know, doesn't satisfy you enough, I think you have a strong background in voice of acting. In voice of acting. I, you know, when you, you read all that intro, it's like, oh, smooth. I love that. Sounding good, huh? Yeah, maybe I should uh, put some gigs on Fiverr or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anything, you know, whatever pays the bills. <laughs> I think I'll stick to legal for now, but I appreciate the kind words. So tell us why prioritizing a business's valuation and maximizing the value of a business is essential for small to medium business owners and decision makers. Yeah, I mean, I love how you just I'm gonna dive right into it, right? So it's really about, okay, on one end, so let's say you're not ready to sell your business, you're not ready to raise any capital or anything. You, you want to know how your business is performing, right? Or even if you want to, you're structuring your shareholders agreement. 
right? You're bringing on some new shares. You're bringing on some new shareholders or whatnot, bringing on some people to join a team and you don't necessarily want to pay them cash. You want to pay them in equity. You want to know, hey, what is, what is their contribution worth? What is my business worth? What percent of my business should I give to these people? All right, so that's one. Another note, if you want to evaluate the performance of your business, on, let's say on a year-to-year basis, no, this is not mandatory, but you always want to know, hey, how much value did I create last year? Because it's one thing to look at, you know, how much revenues you made or how much did your profit grow by. But at what level of risk did you introduce to the business to achieve that? See, and I could go on and on about this, right? But evaluation is a, is a, is a function of two main things, risk and growth. Growth is shown um, through, of course, you grow, you grow through your revenue and your profits. And the risk is shown through the through your business model, right? So how much was the cost? Was the cost of financing? Um, what about your competitive advantage? How do your customers feel about you? Um, your the strength of your team. Do you have the do you have core skills on your team to produce your product or service? Like what makes your team special? You know, you, you think about LeBron and the Cavs. Like, do you have a deep bench? <laughs> right, right. right. All right. And then also like your, your, and of course, you know, Noel, you might love this, your corporate governance systems, right? How are you, how are you protecting your business from yourself, from you and your founders, right? So there's a number of um, business risk factors that you need to consider that evaluates, especially considers when they determine the risk level of your business when conducting evaluation. So what I'm hearing you say, or at least the way I'm uh, applying this to profit from legal is that if you had a lawyer on your team who uh, or uh, assisting your business with both lowering risk and building assets that help your company grow, grow faster, add more value, connect, you know, goods and services to your customers, that would directly positively impl- influence the value of that business. Oh, most, most definitely. And in addition to that, so no, we're in a, we're in a digital age, we're in a creative age where we're in a knowledge economy where a lot of the businesses that are coming up now are based on our unique ideas um, I mean, underpinned by all the problems we want to solve, the, the, big, the big audacious problems we want to solve for a large number of people. But how we, how we solve these problems is through the implementation of, of both science and creativity. You know, so like entrepreneurship is really a, is re- like an entrepreneurship and a creative, to me, is one and the same. Mm-hmm. To, the, to the next time, maybe the entrepreneur, entrepreneur has a... They both use the same parts of the brain, right? Like it's, you're using both halves of your brain, the creative side, the analytical side. It's, it's data, but it's also how you interpret the data, how you use the data, ways that you solve problems creatively. Exactly. Exactly, right? So you, you're creating all of this intellectual property. And this is one example. But do you, are you protecting that intellectual property? Do you have a lawyer helping you manage your intellectual property portfolio. So your patents for, for your inventions, your trademarks for your, for your brand names and what have you, or maybe even how, how are you protecting your street secrets, you know, or like what makes your business, what's the secret source of your business? Like what makes your business that much more, again, competitive compared to the others in the industry. So yeah, a, de- a lawyer would definitely be able to help you advise and protect those assets. And people think that a lawyer, law is so unsexy or whatever. But like what a lawyer could do for your business. Absolutely. And copyright eligible material as well. I mean, from from websites to 
employee handbooks to, uh, you know, the, the trade publications that your business might produce or contribute to. I mean, all that copyright eligible material can be some of the most valuable intellectual property that you have. It's, you know, anything, any kind of creative work, videos, images, um, infographics, all of that stuff is copyright eligible material. And those can be hugely valuable assets. But if you're not protecting them, then you know, they're less valuable and they're not going to completely uh, reach their full potential in contributing to the value of your business. When you have a lawyer helping you with managing risk on one side of the equation and adding to growth and protecting the assets you're building on the other side, you know, those are, you know, high risk and low growth means low value, but yep. low risk and high growth means high value. So lawyers can directly pump the value of your business in a really big way. Well, when it comes to contributing to a higher business value, whether, and we can, we can kind of go away from business valuation per se, and you might even speak to this a little more holistically, like uh, in, in a person's professional life generally, or to, you know, your, your forte, your strength, you know, of business valuation, what's the biggest mistake or, or challenge that you see uh, SMBs experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I could tell you that right off the bat. They are building businesses that cannot, and, and there are many different ways that this, that this sounds like. So, Noel, tell me, have you ever heard somebody say, I mean, and you deal with SMEs as well, right? Have you ever heard somebody say, if I'm not in office, nothing's going to happen? Yeah. Or, <laughs> right? When the cat's away, the mice will play, that kind of thing, yeah. If I'm not there, those people will not know what the hell to do. Right. You know, and sometimes people say this as a badge of honor, as a badge of pride. But that is a humongous business risk. That is a humongous risk, especially if you're, talk, you're talking about trying to raise capital or trying to become investable. Because as an investor, I'm looking at you and you're telling me that, that your business relies on you. Your business needs you. So I'm thinking, about, well, so what if you want to take a vacation? What if, God forbid, something happens to you? What's going to happen with my money? What's going to happen with my, with my investment? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the biggest problem. And, and I, well, of course, I mean, I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for me to identify a problem without, without such a suggestion of how to solve it, right? Um, so I think it's really about, from the start, right? You want to, when, even when it comes to hiring, you're hiring your first employee, you're hiring people to, to join your team or whatnot. You want to make sure that your HR strategy, your hiring strategy, your onboarding strategy is in alignment with your business strategy. So a lot of small businesses, they want to hire and hire their, their nephew, their, their cousin, their, their best friend, because, you know, they're right there and you think you could trust them and everything. But or pay them less. And pay them less. Right. Exactly. Right. You could, yeah. Yeah, you could get them to could get them to work harder for less. Right. But but are, are they really the right people for your team? Right. Usually not. Usually, Usually not. not. Usually nepotism. Uh, it does more harm than good. Exactly. So you want to make sure that when you're hiring people that are both not only a, a fit on the, on the technical side, okay, they have the skills to deliver this product or service, but also a, um, they're also a fit on the cultural side, on the soft side. Because one, because I'm sure you worked in companies, now where you have a star performer, but the personality is just toxic. And that toxicity, it affects the media department and that kind of, it could also permeate the reorganization if the if if the 
organization is, is um, heavily reliant on that person, right? Yeah, and it's the cognitive side too. I mean, you have the the capability side of things, you have the chemistry side of things, you know, personality, are they a good fit? But then you also have the cognitive approach, is the way they go about solving problems and getting tasks done compatible with the way you go about solving problems and getting tasks done? And uh, the folks over at Colbay.com, you know, uh, Colbay Wisdom and all that, uh, they do the Colbay A index and they talk about the cognitive approach. So what you're yeah. talking about, you know, everyone knows you've got to have the right person in the right in the right job in terms of capability. They have to be able to get the job done. And you're talking about chemistry. They have to fit with your culture as well. And that's a, a wonderful, co- completely correct point. But in addition to that, it's also, do they go about working in the same mode? Do they have the same MO as you do? Or, or do they have one that's, that's ideal for the job at least? Exactly. And all right, so let's say that you do, you do hire right, right? But that's mm-hmm. not enough. That's not enough. Again, you're a small business. You want to make sure that, all right, so let me just kind of backtrack a second. So as a, a business that's heavily reliant on you, is, is reliant on the information and the systems and the knowledge and everything that's pretty much in your head. What you want to do is try to unpack what's in your head and get and get that get a knowledge um, distributed throughout the organization. All right. So to do that, you have you you hired you hired good people, people who are ambitious, who mean well, and are in align with your mission, vision, and purpose for the organization. Okay. So how are you measuring their performance? Are you how are you assessing their performance other than just looking at their last deliverable? Right. So do you, you need to develop a system for, for constantly training them as well as, again, having regular performance assessments and then, you know, you determine, OK, how do I close these gaps in where where you are and where I want you to be? And from there, you have to think about how, how are you working with your senior management, your, your, your leadership team? Because what I've seen a lot of small and medium sized companies probably even closer to like the lower middle market, like those making between 1 million and 25 million US per year. They, they have some level of traction and everything. You see like, it's again, very, very much reliant on the, on the CEO. And it's like the leadership team, they, they're almost afraid because it's been embedded in them. And they're afraid to make decisions without the CEO. So any big decisions come in and say, okay, well, let's just wait for, let's wait for, for he or she to approve that before you go forward. But what that causes is a lot of stick. Or, or another, way that, another way it looks a little more indirect is let's say you have a, a big client, you have a big client you want to meet with, right? You want to, you want to close a deal. And that client says, okay, so where's the CEO? You know, the CEO needs to be in this meeting. But the CEO does not need to be in the meeting, no. <laughs> the CEO does not need to be in that, in that meeting. And I've seen it in my, with my very own eyes. All right? The CEO does not need to be in that meeting. So what, what, what that is, what those symptoms reflect is a lack, yeah, is a lack of autonomy being given to your, your leadership team, all right? And if you don't give it autonomy to your leadership team, how is that knowledge going to pass down to their staff, right? So all of that is called and like causing bottlenecks in your, in your, in your distribution, in your, um, sorry, your client, let's say client delivery, right? Yeah. And they see themselves as essential, right? They say nothing would get done if I weren't here. I'm essential. And that makes you feel good. But there's being essential. And then there's being the bottleneck, as you point out. It's the bottleneck that's bad. You, the trick to being a good leader is being essential without becoming a bottleneck, right? Exactly. 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 
and mean another and just the last thing while we're on that on this point all right so we spoke up we spoke about the employees that you that you hire we spoke about ongoing training we spoke about the autonomy for the leadership team but what about succession planning right because because yeah. a, a, a successful business or investable business is generational is not is not just what happens in the next five ten years it happens in the next 20 30 years right the original founder of coca-cola is is probably no longer in the business, you know? No, he's dead. He's been <laughs> right? dead for like decades. <laughs> Steve Jobs has been dead for almost 10 years now. Apple is, yeah. still, is still going, right? So you need to have a, a strategy for succession planning. Mm-hmm. You need to have a, you know, real succession plan coming in there. I mean, and you may need to work with a consultant for this, or you may need to work with a, somebody who specializes in this. But all of these things are the things that you want to put in place to make sure that your business could survive without you. Absolutely. Yeah. Being, being able to be bigger than just the founder is the difference between, you know, uh, the, the very small uh, sort of struggling boutique business and uh, a, a bigger sort of performance based business. It, and uh, Daniel Priestley wrote that book, that wonderful, great book, uh, 24 assets. And he was talking about building something that has objective value. And in 24 assets, he breaks down, basically all the categories of assets and different types of assets that a small business should build if they want to leapfrog from the lifestyle business or struggling boutique level of the entrepreneur journey up to a performance-based enterprise. And I, I think that's the kind of transition you're talking about, right? When you're talking about becoming investable, very few people want to invest in a lifestyle business because it's right. so tied to just the people who are you know, you've got a a team, a leadership team of about four and then all their support staff. But, you know, it's when you double the size of that leadership team to about eight and you really start building a ton of objectively valuable assets that the business becomes attractive to investors. Yeah. I mean, so in a sense, yeah, but all right. So when, when, when I think about a lifestyle business, it's not, it's not so much because especially as tech is so prevalent now, right? Yeah, that's true. Are doing so much in a very small, small staff count. I think yeah. it's more about um, scalability. So yeah. A lifestyle business, you know, the business that provides enough income for me, for you, and we can, we can live a nice, lavish lifestyle, but it's not going to generate a return for an investor, outside investors. So it's not like an right. investor is going to put his, put his or her money in and get and double their money in four to five years, you know, as mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of private investors want to. Um, so the performance business you're describing can do that. So I think, is um if you leverage um tech and partnerships and all of these things enough, it's possible to build an investable business or performance business. I like to use them interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, you could build that 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 level of business with a with a small footprint with a small team. Yeah, and that I mean for a lot of people that's the goal, right? I mean it's uh, more goods and services to more people at lower cost, and you know team uh, your overhead. You do definitely want to invest. Strongly there, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a huge number of people on your team. It just means the the few people that you have on your team are at the top of their game. They're absolutely crucial, um, and you know they they get you where you're going. So can you? And I, I don't. I know that your business probably involves a lot of confidentiality, just like the legal field does. But I don't want you to violate any confidentiality or anything. But can you kind of help uh, tie all these principles? to a concrete like story, something from your experience as a, 
a business evaluator that really throws all of this into stark relief, like a, a, either a success story or maybe a cautionary tale? Okay. Um, all right. So might not be a direct example of succession planning. I think we beat succession planning to death a little bit. Yeah, yeah, not succession planning, but I mean, just just the principles here of focusing on the importance, like a story of someone who really did it right and uh, transformational good that came out of uh, focusing on improving business valuation. Okay. So, all right, I'll give you a success story. So there's one company that um, I used to work with. They are in, I don't even want to say the but let's just say that um, their business is pretty much to generate contracts from high quality corporates. So not, not necessarily like governments or so, but from like high quality corporates. And they, work, they, work with the, they provide services to these corporates on a, on a contractual basis that goes from anywhere from five to 10 years, right? So that locks in that guaranteed cash flow. Um, so I'm just trying to say, what can I, what can I say? What, what can I not say? Um, all right, so this, this company has been able to not own, all right, so to manage their customer service to, this, to, to their clients, they've been, they collect a lot of data from, from each interaction and they're able to leverage this data to improve their customer service, right? So one, another mistake I see a lot of companies making is that they don't really, they don't really track their, um, their customer's feedback. They don't really track their customer insight. How do customers feel about them, right? Because at the first level, it, they haven't really identified their target customer. You know, the three, the, there's three criteria that I would say to identify a target customer. First one being who you can you create the most amount of value for. But the a second one being who do you like working with? And thirdly, who can afford to pay you a premium? So once, once, you, I, I, once you've identified that, it's really to monitor how they feel about you because your customers is your, your, your customers are your revenue line, right? That's how you make your money. You don't have, you don't have customers. You don't pretty much don't have a business. <laughs> no, take your time with it. We can fix this all in post. All right. All right. So you don't have, you don't have customers. You don't have a business. So we, we had another client that was getting ready to raise capital and, and they, they were saying like, you know, how great the customers feel about them on, every, on everything. But when you go on Facebook and look at, look at their customer reviews, you see, you know, one star here, two star there, and that, that sort of thing. And so there's, that, that sort of dichotomy is scary because, again, as an investor, you, you, look, you, wanna, you look at any future, say, all right, how sure is this money? But the successful customer, again, you have, you have contracts tied in, you, you, you literally see testimonials coming from the, from the customers and everything. So it's really to... to um, get everything documented so you could present that kind of credible case so that you have a credible case when approaching investors. So meaning with, with investors, credibility and proof in the pudding is everything. Absolutely. Proof in the pudding is everything. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, even for us with profit from legal. Uh, yeah. We're talking about legal key performance indicators with our clients, you know, looking at uh, that kind of data, that kind of feedback, but not so much from the customer service front, although there is that there is that element of it. We look at that as well, uh, but mostly looking at how your lawyer is contributing to the profitability of your business. This is something that can be measured. We can measure how your lawyer is reducing risk. We can measure how your lawyer is contributing to asset creation. Uh, there are metrics for this. How do you measure it? How do we measure it? So we look at the specific types of functions that lawyers are doing in the business. 
so how many uh, complaints have they helped to not suppress? That's the wrong word, but address in a way that has a positive outcome for the client. And you can look year over year like we had this number of complaints and, and you might say, you know, last year we had 50 complaints from customers just to pull a number out of the air, right? 50 complaints from customers. But this year, um, in addition to having our legal team guide our customer service staff on how to resolve each each of those complaints, we also had specialized training that looked at the content of the complaints that looked at um, the communication that we have with our customers that that may have uh, been setting the wrong expectation or whatever the problem was that generated the complaints. And so we have our legal team come in and say, you know, if you improve your communication here, if you use this language there, if you follow this dispute resolution process on this side, then overall, both the number of complaints and the result of positive outcomes for the business, uh, the, the number of complaints goes down, the positive outcomes go up. And because of legal's involvement uh, in the business, your risk goes down and your, your customers are happy. You have more repeat customers. And you can track all those things. It's like, what is the legal doing with your customer service department? You can track it on different dimensions. How are they working with customer service? How are they working with sales? How are they working with marketing, HR, accounting? Every dimension of the business, uh, legal has something to do. And if you look at like all of the assets that Daniel Priestley talks about in 24 Assets, <laughs> if you look at all the categories of those assets and the specific ones that he mentions, the, a lawyer has something to do with either the creation or the protection of each one of those assets. And if we're talking about growing the value of the business, I mean, then all you have to do is measure what the lawyer is doing, that either the quantity or the quality, you can you can develop your own internal quality rating scale, um, and you develop these legal key performance indicators, these legal metrics for measuring the lawyer's impact on your business, and you score them all, and the composite score of all of that is what we call the legal profitability score. So you can see this uh, play out a little bit in, in kind of a microcosm, because we wanted to make it pretty simple and easy for people to engage with in a tactile way if you take our uh, legal profitability scorecard. So I think you took the legal profitability scorecard, right? You've been through that. You, did you take it? I, I know I looked at it. I, um, did I take it? So if you go through, I think you started it, but you might not have finished it. I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here a little yeah. bit. Sorry about that. But, uh, but if you go through the entire legal profitability scorecard, hint, hint, wink, wink, uh, then uh, you'll see the type from the types of questions that we ask, the things that lawyers do in order to contribute to your legal profitability. And certainly the legal profitability scorecard is not doesn't represent a comprehensive list of all the things that lawyers do, but it's like sort of the high level hit the headlines type of things that lawyers do. Are you talking to your lawyer on a regular basis about this? Are you using your lawyer for this kind of service? Are you managing regulatory compliance? And then we have a whole section, 10 of the questions in the uh, legal profitability scorecard are all, we call it legal sharpshooting questions. They're all specifically about specific KPIs, key performance indicators. So um, this is definitely a thing that lawyers can do, and it's also a thing that, you know, virtually every other part of your business can do. And some people talk about using smart goals and that's that's part of it. But I don't feel like that really goes the full distance. Um, you know, the specific measurable, you know, all, all of the the smart goals. Right. Uh, time based is the T. Uh, I, I off the top of my head, I'm not 
I can fix this in post too, but I'm just going to go back and specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based. That's SMART goals. So people start with those, uh, and that's really great. But I don't feel like just setting SMART goals and achieving them on a regular basis and tracking wins and losses is the be-all, end-all. And I, I don't think anybody really would say that. I think you need to set specific metrics for success in your business um, and then let your numbers be your guide. So uh, that's that's really great feedback. Thank you for for sharing the story. And, you know, it's really great discussion. But a final little question for you as we head into the home stretch of our interview here. So what do you recommend uh, small to medium sized business owners? So we're talking about 10 million to 50 million in revenue, right? That that window, that. Um, ideal window. So what do you recommend that those folks do uh, if they don't feel like they're reaching their full value potential? What do you think that they should do to change in directionally correct ways? Okay. So again, I'm, I'm all about focusing on fundamentals, right? So, I mean, I guess I could, I could recap and I could even give you a nice little um, mnemonic. That will help oh, that great. Day. Yeah. Give us that. Yeah. Let's have yeah. the mnemonic. All right, so we have um to become a vessel, we have six metrics of investability. Um it's human resources, customer insights, competitive advantage, financial controls, financial data, corporate governance. No, all right, that's a lot. So, yeah. an, <laughs> so yeah. here's, here's Go a little bit slower. Yeah, get, we wanna I mean repetition is magic, it'll sink into our brains. What what are those again? A little bit slower? Right. So the, the mnemonic is happy customers, champion, and favor fantastic companies right happy customers champion and favor fantastic fantastic companies there we go all right so so the h so human resources again are you building the right team that goes from onboarding all the way up to succession planning customer insights why do your customers choose you so again um target target customer profiling Monitoring that relationship, making sure that making sure that you have your key competitive advantage. Sorry, your key differentiator. Identify to your customers because I mean a lot of people are solving customer problems in a different way. What makes you special? Competitive advantage. What makes your business a fortress? What what sort of creates that moat in your business that other other industry players can't can't permeate? So be it your IP protection that your lawyer will help you with. Your, um, your strategic partnerships, maybe you have replicable processes or systems, or make or just kind of goes down to like your customer concentration. So to make sure that that no particular customer co- um, comprises more than ten percent of your revenues, so that they don't they can't come and say, "Hey, well, um, I don't feel like paying that price anymore." What are you going to do? <laughs> right, and then on the other side, you have to look at your supplier concentration. Do you have do you have options with suppliers so that they can squeeze you as well? All right. Uh, and then, then the next metric, financial controls. So we are, we're at favor. So happy customers favor. Sorry. Happy customers champion and favor. So do you know your numbers? Do you have, a, do you have people in your business who are monitoring your numbers on a regular basis? Because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business and you're running blind. Financial data. So do you have, in order to know your numbers, are you... Are you in the habit of preparing financial statements in order to show to investors or to lenders or what have you? Do you have skin in the game? So do you have your own capital at risk? Or, do you, or if you're looking for a loan, do you have collateral that you can show the bank? Because investors and lenders need to show that, they're, that 
their risk that their risk and your risk are aligned. That you mm-hmm. have uh, that you have stuff at risk as well. And the last one, of course, um, corporate governance. Right? How strong is your company's internal management structure? How are you governing your board of directors, your management team? Do you have shareholder agreements? Are you managing conflicts of interest? You know the roles and responsibilities of of um of your senior employees and your leadership team and your founders. So again, that's human resources. Are you building the right team? Customer insights. Why do your customers choose you? Competitive advantage. What makes your business a fortress? Financial controls. Do you know your numbers? Financial data. Are you ready to face investors? And corporate governance. How strong is your company's structure? Because happy customers champion and favor fantastic companies. <laughs> That's wonderful. That was such a great note to go out on. I really appreciate those insights. I mean, being able to talk to someone whose job it is to value businesses, to put a value on the business and hear direct insights, direct from a professional like that, talking about this is what you can do to pump the value of your company up to improve the valuation that you're going to get, whether it's for insurance purposes or investing purposes or business succession purposes, or maybe just to sell. Maybe it's time to you know, move to the Caribbean, right? You want to sell, <laughs> sell your company and move to a nice warm climate where the people are friendly and the food is good and the water's always crystal clear. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. So you're going to need to get the right valuation. Um, we really appreciate you coming on Kevin to give us these insights. Uh, we'll make sure that links to uh, all of your, your website and all of the different uh, projects that you've got going on are in the show notes and the episode description. But um, even though we're going to have all of that there for people to reference, can you give us the best way to connect with you and how to get the most out of that initial interaction? Sure. Okay. So you could either go on to kevinvalley.com. That's just my name, kevinvalley.com. Or you could go to becomeinvestable.com and do our roundtable investability diagnos- diagnosis or assessment. Could you um, evaluate how investable your business is based on the six key metrics that I listed out? And failing that, you could just go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn. Kevin Fat. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Again, it's just an honor and a privilege to have you on and uh, really appreciate all of your time today. Thanks for having me, Noah. That's all for this episode of the Profit from Legal podcast. Please. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Share it with your friends, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Profit from Legal podcast. That's all for me. I'm Noel Bagwell signing off. Have a great day. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.